Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. This is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. First of all, I would like to say I have a pretty good track record in these 19 episodes of keeping us on course, on schedule, every other Tuesday. This is the second time that I've kind of fucked that up, and I wanted to do a show to explain myself. So, I have no guest in the room today. It's just me. I want to talk about all of the different things that I've got uh, in the works coming up real soon, hopefully in rapid fire (laughs) release schedule. I know some people have been overwhelmed. They see too much from me. Um, I've kind of backed off, okay? In September, I put out Vacant Eyes and we did the Vacant Eyes tour. Now, I've, I've played a few shows since then, in various cities, just one-offs, okay? But aside from that, um, you know, I don't think I've even played five shows yet this year. I haven't played a hometown show at all um, since October. And that's intentional because I notice people's excitement waning. And that's, I mean, at the end of the day, I do this for me. And I write and I record pretty much every day. And I'm always working on something because this is what I do. It's who I am. Now, am I able to take on more projects at a time and kind of slow down the release, focus on other things? Yes. So what I want to do today is break down all the different things that are going to be coming out. Let me preface that by saying I do have one release so far this year, and that was Breaking Ties by EPD. That's my first band ever. Um, Started 18 years ago in 1998, and we never got a, a proper release until the band had all grown up and changed our name and changed all of our songs, and we were called This Day's End. But those early releases were all done by homemade CDRs. I mean, literally burning them one at a time individually, printing out the covers on inkjet printers at home, cutting them out by hand with scissors, and assembling them in old empty CD cases that we had recycled. It was cool, and we sold them, and uh, it was really fun. But I wanted to put out something that was legitimate, that was kind of a a collection of all that stuff. I think that we had some good songs, and I don't think that we necessarily did them justice. I think we were too young to play them very well. But the, the ideas were there. The arrangements are cool. Uh, the riffs are, are interesting. The ideas are kind of big, you know? And, uh, you know, when you're in middle school in 98, 99, 2000, a great example of this is a, a song called Stray Bullet. When you're in middle school in those years, and this is kind of when, like, random school shootings 
starts to become a thing in our culture. And uh, not only did Columbine happen, but but uh, Thurston High School right across town from me. And uh, uh, Crosby, who was the... I was one guitarist and singer, and he was the other guitarist and singer in the band. He wrote a great song called Stray Bullet. And uh, the last line of that song was... Uh, will I be next in line? And every every verse he gives kind of a different breakdown of uh, of a scenario of a different person who's uh, you know maybe they're depressed and they're going to lash out or or uh, uh, something like that. And in the last one, you know he he turns on the TV like he does in the beginning of the song, and he sees another school hit with this sick, horrific attack, and he wonders, uh, will I be next? Because it hit that close to home for us. And so examples like that, I think, are worthy of sharing beyond the high school friends and, uh, and the, the little dinky shows we played back in the day. I think there's, there's something there of, of uh, lasting value. So Breaking Ties was uh, my attempt to share that with folks. I've had people ask me about EPD since I put out my book. That's really the, that's the genesis of this. That's the only reason that it's coming out. The reason I thought to do this is because I put out the book and I reissued it this year. I did a second printing, expanded and all that. And, and people would ask me about those early recordings. Where can I hear these records you're talking about? Well, you can't really, but here's the next best thing. So I put together like 20 some songs from EPD and, you know, varying degrees of, uh, uh, quality performances, I'd say, but they're all studio recordings. It all sounds pretty good. I remastered it to make it somewhat consistent as well. And uh, my favorite sp- my favorite part are the skits. The skits are fucking great. Um, I still maintain that some of the best recording experiences of my life were uh, with EPD just fucking around with Eric Munch, our producer, and uh, we made this track. I won't go into too much detail, but we made this track simulating a politician's speech. And uh, we ourselves, the band members, were the crowd. So we we had five of us um, yelling and reacting to this speech. And then we did it seven takes in a row. We did it all layered over the top of each other and uh, panned it all around and made it sound like a giant fucking Bernie Sanders crowd or something. And, uh, you know, the, the inject a little comedy and in uh, it's just it was just a blast to make. Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to introduce to you the new governor of Utah, Gabriel Wharton Green, the third. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I want to thank you and you and you back there. Yes, thank you. All the way back there. Thank you. Thank you. As your newly elected governor, I promise I will lower taxes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I will also cut down on crime. Thank you again, thank you, thank you. And the school system will be better. And I promise each and every one of you will have sex with a dead body by the end of the night. Yeah. You sick fool! Wait a minute, he's not the governor? That's the 
The one that everybody knows about this year that's coming is Rare Form. That's the full-length album follow-up to Break the Bank that me and Ogar Burl have been working on for a really long time. So it's our second album as a group, and we've been working on it for about two years. Uh, We haven't talked too much about it, so I can tell you right now, more than half of the album is produced by Graves33, our friend from Seattle. Um, you know, using that word produced, people look at my CDs, if they read the liner notes, um, they'll notice that I credit things differently. Like when you pick up a Nas record and it says produced by DJ Premier on one of the songs. That's because Nas went to Primo's studio and they worked on the song together. Primo made the beat. He coached the performances. Maybe he suggested rewrites. Maybe he arranged the track with them. You know, that's the role of a producer. So when I get beats from people and they're emailed to me and then I never see them again uh, until the record comes out, then... Um, I credit that person as music by, for example, Grave 30, Grave 33. So, so you'll see on this record, just like all of them, it will say produced by Sammy Warmhands. And each track will break down uh, who made the beats and if anyone contributed guest vocals. So that's how I like to do it because I think of it, you know, in the rap world, you can sell a beat for $25 and have them write produced by you when the track comes out on SoundCloud or something, but that's not, that's not what that means. Um, and and I, that's just people who like came up in, in hip hop don't really know the difference, but it's important to me as a musician, a lifelong musician and uh, uh, someone who nerded out about who engineered the record, who played the drums on it, who mixed it, you know, all of those things. I want to know all of those things as a fan. So uh, when I put out a record, I kind of break it down a little differently. So back to our regular scheduled program. Um, So Rare Farm was mostly with beats from Graves 33. We got a track on there from Durazo, who is a a friend of ours, um, was from Oakland, now he's been up in Portland. We see him a lot more often, but uh, all of a sudden that guy's blowing up. So kind of cool to have him on the record uh, timing-wise. When I got that beat from him, he had uh, sworn off music. He had retired, said, fuck it, I'm out. And uh, uh, when he started back up again, as far as I know, I don't think anybody else was getting stuff from him around that period so I was really excited to have a track from him it's got this kind of um, atmosphere quality to it in the way that Ant um, their producer beat maker uh, for atmosphere he uses or he used to use a lot of soul samples kind of kind of like Kanye you know with the voice like vocal samples that kind of pitched up 
uh, it reminds me of that kind of a vibe. And me and me and Ogar Burl, we get on some some back in the day storytelling shit. It's kind of fun. Um, and that's that's a big thing we do with this record. That's different because with Break the Bank, it was all bars. It was just rap, rap, rapidy rap. And well, the one exception was the song called "The Hard Part," which was, I guess, the closest to a, a conceptual song we had, which was just him playing a a. a manly man picking up chicks and bragging about it and then juxtapose that with my verse of like being a married guy trying to sneak away and jerk off without getting caught um and it was kind of a it was kind of a comedy track because it was a novelty song um and that's the closest we got to really uh constructing a real song with a story so this record we're doing things a lot differently um we've also got a lot of beats from odar Many of you know as Crosby, one of my oldest friends. Uh, he made some tracks uh, that you'd remember from The Illusionists. Uh, he played the keys and bass and stuff on Real MCs. He did the single Owned. He did Center of Attention um, every single minute, stuff like that. So he worked with us a lot on Break the Bank, and he worked with us a lot on this one. Our new single, our next single for a Rare Form is... is with music by Odar. It's, it's a song called Break the Bank, which we've been doing live for a while, and I think it's just an awesome, fun song. Uh, one of the things that I've been working on that kept me from doing an episode here, I was going to do an episode with Evil again, and we were going to talk about something totally different, but um, instead I had him assist me, as he often does with a music video, because I've been preparing Break the mold as a single i know that's a bad name just coincidentally break the mold being a, a single when break the bank was our last album i'm sorry about that if you're confused but break the mold the new single uh we we went and and filmed my portion uh my performance of it uh last weekend I went down to the river by my house and um not to give anything away i was basically uh washed ashore and uh, a random bicyclist finds my, uh, he sees my body and uh, uh, kind of flips me over and we do a whole like crawling out of the river, rapping at the camera thing. It was kind of fun. Anyway, um, that's going to be the the single. I think people who have seen us at all would recognize it. We, we did it on the last tour once or twice too, I think. Um, so yeah, that song we've we've been testing out for a little bit, and we we really enjoy it. Um, other tracks, God, I've got a beat from Blueprint on there, and honestly, it may or may not make the album because I'm just not sure if it fits. But that's the only one in question at this point. Who else made beats for us? I'm sure I'm forgetting someone important. Danny G from Double Dragon. We were on the Vacant Eyes tour last fall, and the record was basically done, and he played me a bunch of beats that he was working on on one of the drives, and uh, I was absolutely in love with one of the tracks, and he sent me a few, but I kept saying, no, send me that, send me that first one. Um, and and he, he did, and ended up getting all the architects on it. 
And uh, so the architects are on it. It's kind of a posse cut. And then Danny actually uh, built a larger arrangement to kind of go with the whole group. And it's super cool. So the record was basically done, and we just added that in there as kind of a, a break from the, the seriousness. Um, but it's it's kind of a, a track about, uh, you know, the, the state of things from the perspective of people who have been in the underground for a long time now. Anyway, that's Rare Form. We're trying to dip into some more um, storytelling songs, some more, uh, I mean, just more from the heart shit. There's plenty of rapidy rap bars and punchlines. Um, we got that. We know how to do that. So uh, we, we do that very well. If you listen to uh, our first single from Rare Form, Slubber to Gullion, uh, I love it because people always like the one. Um, slu- uh, how do you say it? Um, but that song has no chorus. It has no purpose other than to just you know bash MCs and and have fun wordplay and stuff. So uh, you know that's where we started. It's going to be plenty of that there for for people who just want to hear boom bap. But you know we also get into some uh, some heavier stuff, and I think it's. I think it's a really interesting record. Um, one thing that we did that I don't often see in groups is we decided to let each person have a solo track. And I did this once with The Illusionists on our second record, Ill Is All. Um, that one was different because <laughs> we had two different interludes with the same beat, and I rapped on one of them, and Evil rapped on the other one. And that was kind of fun. But um, this time, one of those Graves beats was uh, was just an obvious choice for Ogar, and he's been using it in his solo sets for a long time. It's called Determination, and that that's just a perfect song for him. It didn't need me on it. And um, I found one. Um, I found one that I wanted that had this very, like, church organ kind of hard-hitting gospel soul thing going on. And um, I wasn't sure what to do with it at first, but I knew that I loved it. And it ended up being kind of a a long form. If you know my music, there's, there's songs. And I didn't realize that this was kind of a thing I'm known for, but um, there tends to be a song on each of my albums where I kind of set aside time to go really deep into a subject that I care about that I haven't talked about. Um, you know, I did the Ferguson free, right? I did, uh, the end is inevitable. Uh, you know, some of these tracks where it's just like a two and a half minute verse with no stopping, you know? And, this one, I decided to go in on organized religion, particularly Christianity. And we also put that out as a single, which is maybe not the wisest. It didn't do very well. Not a lot of people saw it. So uh, thank you for those who shared. And um, for those who didn't, where are your balls? Come on. I know you're... you're, you're aunt and uncle are going to judge you for sharing it, but you messaged me. You said you liked the song. You share that shit. Anyway, 
fucking. <laughs> um, so that song is called God Paparazzi. There's a, a great lyric video for it by uh, this guy named Adam Dunn, who I had seen his work with uh, Guante and, and some others. And I, I wanted a lyric video because it's such a dense song that I really wanted people to be able to hear what I'm saying. And we almost cut it from the album a couple times because it's not subtle, you know. It hits hard right out of the gate and it doesn't let up until the end. And so it's the kind of track that might fit on my solo album pretty well. But how did I how do I fit it into the context of our group? So we, we took some time on that, trying to figure it out. And I think we got the sequence of songs really good. Um, Ogar, when, when I suggested cutting it, just, just because of the flow of the songs, um, Ogar said, no, this is like my favorite thing that you've ever written. Probably it's, it, it's good. Keep it. Um, and, and I think you should do the video for it. And, and, and so, Hey, sometimes what do I know? (laughs) I write something that I believe in. I feel good about it. And then I think, who the fuck's going to want to hear this? I don't know. Or I don't know if it belongs or maybe I won't put it out, whatever. And I need somebody else to hear it and go, no, that's worth something. You know, do that. Stick to your guns. So I did that. And uh, I'm really proud of it. I think it's one of the better pieces of writing that I've done. And, um, you know, with that said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break and play you that song, God Paparazzi, from the new album, Rare Form. The ontological fallacy of expecting a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, that's what the preacher sells. There's such a, a desperate sense of entitlement, isn't it? Surely this is all for me. The son of God is just the God of the sun. The prodigal son was really just the product of sun. Really the sum of all the stories that they borrowed him from. Based on a black planet waiting for the mile to come. Huh. The son of God is just the God of the sun. The prodigal son was really just a product of sun. Really the sum of all the stories that they borrowed him from. Based a black planet waiting for the mile to come. There's nothing on the other side of St. Peter. Call it beta, heaven's gate. I have no faith in a believer with the least Jesus piece around his neck and a heater by his side. A paradox of our time. So how's it gonna play out? What's he gonna say now? Tackle in the tabernacle, Sammy say out. It goes eat, pray, love, hate, fags, and die. This insidious, fastidious, Leviticus lies. So what's a guy to do if a dude is coming on to me? I swear there's a guide about this in Deuteronomy. Been seeking his teaching, reaching a formative birth. Reaching in all four corners of earth But every answer that's been given to a question I've asked Not to mention of the future, favored only the past The American Jesus, white, Egyptian, English Pray for the touchdown What now? Can't the state with the fact from the fiction What an odd depiction And motherfuckers suffer from a god addiction Possessed by the devil and the speaking in tongues Building the weight of their words while they're speaking in tongues But if we pray to God to destroy the enemy The enemy supreme for reciprocal symmetry The truth is Right in front of you, nobody's listening. Busy questioning his plan with every prayer solicited. If we're made in his image, then none of us have the privilege of being chosen. A pardon or even really assisted. 
It's nonsensical, but people believe it Cause their parents taught it to them all in hard times They need it, and as much as I talk shit I wouldn't begrudge an individual's choice A philosophical crush But the influence is ridiculous and political doing To reach it as deep as little as even influence Unoriginal at best, plagiarism at worst Rap with contradictions, do it, your fiction is birth The kind of god paparazzi for a corporate sponsor With a medical plan to kill abortion doctors But every tall tale casts a shadow of doubt with the adamant about it and every adamant out In the manger light a stranger parallel to the parable Like a reboot movie from studio to the carol Or was it Jesus or Krishna, Vishnu or Zeus Or Mithra, December 25th was a ruse Counter agent virgin birth to predicated Christianity Resurrected after subsequent martyrdom a tragedy And you can lead a man to the library But if he can't read between the lines very well at all Then he'll stumble and fall at intellectual obstacles And struggle with the other ineffectual followers the son of God, I just the God of the son The prodigal son was really just a product of some Really the sum of all the stories that they fired him from Facing a flat planet, waiting for tomorrow to come uh, The son of God, I just the God of the son The prodigal son was really just a product of some Really the sum of all the stories that they fired him from Facing a flat planet, waiting for tomorrow to come Can you imagine if people didn't believe what things they get up to? The only thing keeping a person decent is the expectation of divine reward, then brother, that person is a piece of shit. Again, not subtle. Not something you can just uh, slip in there and it's over in two minutes. So um, I hope you guys like that song. It, it It's something that I've thought a lot about in my life. Like in middle school, I thought I was becoming... A real dick. I wasn't good to people. I had uh, lost at least one real long time friend. Um, I was just, I was depressed. I was literally playing with fire and, um, you, you know, breaking stuff and, and just, just dumb kid angst stuff. And I, saw somebody standing out in front of the school. This sounds ominous kind of now. People probably aren't allowed to do this now, but uh, standing out in front of my middle school in uh, seventh grade, handing out these miniature New Testament Bibles. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at that. And my friend Rick and I, we both got one, these little orange covered uh, Bibles, and we would both uh, read it. And I think some of the language was a little bit confusing, but, um, you know, even that, even through that, I could see there were contradictions and there were basic tenets of the belief that also seemed at odds with the Christian, I guess, agenda, I would say, or the kind of person that is on the forefront of that kind of thing. You know, the people you see on TV, the people that are the most outspoken, you know, in your class or whatever, um, representing God or Christianity tended to be... uh, the ones who didn't really exhibit those 
truest qualities. And so I started questioning it early on and, and not long after that, I got into George Carlin for the first time. And I don't think the first ones I saw had much mention of religion. It was jamming in New York and doing it again. I don't think he has any real God pieces in that. It wasn't until uh, a little while after that when he did You're All Diseased. He has a giant piece at the end of the show called There Is No God. And at that point, I was, I mean, I was already there, you know. Um, But I thought he just broke it down so eloquently. It made perfect sense to me. And, and you know, listening to Bad Religion records and, and stuff like that and just hearing other perspectives and things that, I don't know, it didn't make sense to me. So when I, when I was a junior in high school, I did a project in my English class. I should, I don't know if it matters, junior was, as far as I went, I basically graduated early. Um, so, so my very last English class I ever had, I wrote uh, a really long paper and the thesis was that Christianity is immoral and illogical. And the immoral one is what really pissed people off. But um, that was the thesis. And I think it was, I can't remember the length of the writing, but you were also supposed to do an oral component there and, uh, and read it, see, but I, I saw it more as like a performance than a um, than a reading. And I I came in my Bad Religion Crossbuster shirt. That's what they call the, the, the red, you know, like a no-smoking sign, the red circle with the line through it. But there's a cross in there instead of a cigarette. Uh, they call that the Crossbuster. So I was wearing my Bad Religion t-shirt in my class, very uh, a Christian teacher very uh, Christian students, a few of them. We had had some debates and things, and uh, I gave a 25-minute speech in that class. Um, So these are thoughts that have been on my mind for many years. It's not like I just foolhardily thought, you know, I'm going to sit down and tackle another subject today. It's, It's, you know, that song was bound to exist at some time. Um, the next single, Break the Mold, will not be so heavy-handed. It's more of a, a fun song. A lot of just bars in a, a kind of a call-and-response chorus. It's a lot more fun. So that's going to drop in August. We haven't made the formal announcement yet, but we've got brilliant artwork from Pat Jensen. I had seen him do a number of things for Isid, who's a good friend of mine um, through uh, Crush Kill in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's awesome performer, MC, producer. And um, Isid always has great artwork, and I started noticing uh, this dude's name on it. Uh, him and, and Chuck Yu is his other artist. But Pat, I thought, just had a really cool style that spoke to me. And I, I've kind of kept my eye on him. And one day, out of the blue, I get a an email or, or a Facebook message, and it's from Pat Jensen. And he's like, hey, I drew a portrait of you. And it's of me doing both middle fingers up, 
and my spiky ass hair from the from the famous last words music video and i thought how awesome that uh you know occasionally people like draw a little thing at a show and give it to me and then you know that's really cool uh but this is the first time like an artist that i already knew about sent me something that he did inspired by something i did and so i thought that was awesome and from that point i thought okay when the time's right i'm gonna reach out to this guy about a collaboration so when uh we were finishing up the record rare form uh I I hit him up and I said, you know, we want something really simple, just portrait the two of us, um, you know, but we want we want you to do it in your style, um, and and I gave him a reference of of the Jizza DJ Muggs album Grandmasters, um, that was something that was you know pretty simple kind of headshots, almost reminded me of um, Adventures in Counterculture by Blueprint, uh, kind of sketch style. But we wanted him to do it his way. So we talked about it, went back and forth. He sent me a couple sketches. And because of the title, Rare Form, he came up with this idea where our heads are growing out of each other. And we're kind of one deformed, two-headed dragon thing. And it was pretty fucking cool. So uh, we hired him to do the project. And um, he, he made an actual, legit painting of it. And uh, then did a lot of extra uh, digital stuff on top of that. But um, it's awesome. It's the first time I've had a, a, a physical painting for my album cover. I'm really excited by it. And um, I don't know if you know this, but I do most of my own art myself. Uh, for a long time, my friend Taylor Morden did it. For a long time, my friend Shar Howling did it. And through them, I watched and learned and asked a lot of questions. And uh, I gave a lot of direction and input. And they would kind of bring my ideas to the page. But just like recording, I learned a lot doing it. So as is my goal with everything else that I try, that I dabble in, I wish to become self-sufficient. I want to embody DIY with Take 92. That's my company. It's my studio. That's my label. You know, I, I take it very seriously that this is what I do. And short of becoming the manufacturing facility as well, <laughs> you know, where I buy the duplicators and the, you know, high-end printers and all that stuff, uh, you know, to print on the discs and all that. Aside from that, maybe I'll get there someday. But aside from that, I want to be able to do everything myself. You know, photos, video, uh, recording. I mean, everything. So, these last couple albums, uh, Vacant Eyes and Famous Last Words, I did entirely by myself. I'm really proud of that. I think they turned out good. I think they, they, they look just as professional. Break the Bank, on the other hand, I'm not proud of visually. We did some cool photos and I did a goofy layout and the whole thing was supposed to be kind of silly comic booky like a like the illusionist tour posters were always really goofy and I was kind of thinking in that vein and in hindsight I wouldn't have ever done that for an album cover or an album theme it's kind of ridiculous but um, we got two pretty good looking packages I think with famous last words and vacant eyes that I did myself and now we got this really great one coming up with uh, Pat Jensen. On the subject of artwork, 
I'm currently doing the layout now for uh, an untitled new album. I just recorded an EP with Odar and Sarks. Sarks is from Seattle. He was my first tour mate. He was also my fifth tour mate, I believe. Um, good friend of mine. We've done a lot, a lot, a lot of shows together. Recorded a few songs over the years. He guested on my Bears Repeating album. He guested on The Illusionist blowing up the bandwagon, I think, or something around that time. And, uh, you know, it was only a matter of time, just like God Paparazzi, that, uh, you know, the stars aligned and, and this collaboration happened. So when I was thinking about the art, somebody I've been watching for a long time is uh, this guy named Alex, and I knew him as Bodie, a rapper. Before that, he was known professionally as Alexa Farmick. Um, but I met him through Christoph Crane and Sadistic when he was on tour with them. And uh, that was like 2011, I think, that we met. And he was a super nice guy. I remember having a great conversation when we met. And as he started to kind of focus less on music in his life, he started traveling the world and posting these amazing photos. They're incredible. He is an incredible visual artist. Okay. I should plug his page. It's, it's uh, I don't know how you say it, Satva, Satva, but it's S-A-T-T-V-A photo. S-A-T-T-V-A photo dot com i think is his website or you can find him on facebook but uh he's absolutely brilliant photographer and everything from from you know candid human you know uh, uh shots of like kids in india and crazy stuff all the way to uh, uh just big landscapes the northwest and there's a certain quality he captured about the northwest that i thought was just perfect i've lived here my whole life Sarks lived uh, in Seattle, uh, you know, forever. And Odar from Portland and Eugene. So I thought it was perfect to have this Northwest collaboration be viewed as a Northwest uh, presentation. And um, so his photography is, is prominently featured on this new record. And again, I don't have a name for it yet, but I've got most of the art done. Um and uh, the music is very, very close. I'm just waiting on uh, one last feature from Evil, But um, that's another of the projects on my plate. Uh, the week before last, I was thinking, God, I'm really due for another uh, podcast episode. You know, Sarks is coming down to record. Let's do a podcast with Sarks. And so... I asked him if he wanted to, to, to do the show. He said, yes. Um, first things first, obviously you gotta, we gotta knock out the songs cause that's a priority. You come all the way from Seattle for three days. You know, we want to make sure that it lasts, but we had such a, a, a great couple of sessions that we decided to add a song. And so it went from four songs to five songs. And then Evil had, uh, well, I, I hit up Odar 
because he's making all the beats on this record. And Sarks is a rapper and I'm a rapper. Okay, so it's not a new group per se. It's just kind of a one-off collaboration, I think. But that's that's the lineup anyhow. And I I hit up Odar and I said, Kraz, this first session was awesome. If you've got anything else up your sleeve that's like this kind of sound, because this record is a different sound. It's grimy and mean and a lot of synths and kind of like Aesop rock sounding kind of drums, just punchy and uh, it's different. It's different. I played it for my uh, stepdad and he's, I played him one of the, the songs that we were, we had a demo of and he said it sounded like Doomtree. Uh, so again, it's like a little different than anything I've quite done. And uh, yes, yes, my, my stepdad listens to Doomtree. My mom's favorite band is Rise Against. I have cool parents. Anyway, we're uh, finished with the first session. I hit up Odar. I say, Kraz, if you've got anything else that's like this, we're on a roll, okay? We've got five songs now. And he said, I sent one to Evo that's uh, perfect for this. You got to see if he'll let you have it. And so uh, Sarks was staying at his house. Uh, Evil is Evan. I'm just going to call him fucking Evan because he's my friend Evan. And uh, Sarks is staying over there after our session. Uh, he asked them. I'm texting him, seeing if we can get it. And uh, they, they listened to it. It's fucking perfect. They sent it to me. It's fucking perfect. I love it. They love it. So we're like, well, let's just all get on it together. And so we added yet another song. So now we have six songs plus an intro. Uh, so, you know, we've got a decent uh, little set list going here. And I think we came up with some really good stuff. Some, uh, you know, we get Sarks to do a little rapidy rap. Um, we get me to go on some... Uh, uh, different kind of subjects than I've done and I think it was great for both of us it was not only fun but it was a different kind of writing exercise um, we also wrote some of the stuff together which I never do I always write alone and um, it was pretty awesome so that record again I don't have a name for it I don't have a release date for it because I want to I want to make sure that Rare Form gets heard and and properly pushed with uh, a tour and whatever else that entails but um it's coming after that at some point this year you will hear it and uh i'm pretty stoked on it on top of that um a couple other records that are on my plate that are almost done since last fall i think November, I started working on a seven-song EP for The Architects. And The Architects, spelled with an X, are some good friends of mine from right here in Eugene. They have, uh, w when I was, you know, just kind of breaking through into the scene in The Illusionists, they were, uh, they had all kind of moved up here from places in California and we're kind of forming their group. 
And so in many ways, we kind of came up together, illusionists and architects. And those guys really made a name for themselves because, well, in, we kind of broke off and did two different things. But I, I always see us together. We're like best friends. Because those guys stayed here and did a weekly and a monthly and, you know, became the manager or booking, uh, like KI was the, the booking agent of John Henry's. And then now with their weekly and monthly, they, they host just a slew of, of different artists, national and local. And, and then we took the other approach in the illusionists and we uh, made our name elsewhere uh, by, by touring. And um, so we're we're kind of yin and yang in that way um but uh we came up together we're great friends i've loved all those guys and um i've i've really wanted to get them in the studio for a while it's a challenge to get those guys in the studio so um it's taken longer than we thought but it's really really close to being done right now i think all that's left is one verse and a couple scratches and and then I'm gonna mix it down, and and that'll be out soon. Um, side note: Eb One and Ki Design from the Architects have a duo that they are uh, they're releasing an album as a duo called Coffee Table Clutter, and that comes out uh, this weekend. So by the time this episode airs, it'll already be out. You can get it. I'm not sure where. Go to Eb One, uh, spelled O N E, not not numeric one. But you look up Eb One or Ki Design on uh, Facebook Bandcamp. I'm sure you'll find it. But uh, I've heard a little bit of that. It's great. Um, also, almost finished with this Architects record. And then um, more recently, I've been working with Cerebral from the Architects on his solo record. It started out as like ten songs, and I think now it's thirteen. And all of the songs are beats by Durazo. It's a really cool record. I'm, I'm, he's a guy who I always felt killed it live. And he always has, he's a great writer. He has good, uh, like memorable lines. And, uh, you know, he's technically just very, very, very consistent and on point. And um, I've always liked him. But then when I would hear his CD that he put out and I'd get home and listen to it and I'd be like, ah, he always raps like a different person in the studio. I'm sorry for airing you out like this, <laughs> but I, I, I love the dude's rapping, but he's got this really laid back tone that he does in the studio. But on, on, on stage live, you know, he's out there like ripping it up, high energy, like killing it. And um, so when we were doing the Architects record, we kind of, but it heads on that at first. And once we got to a good middle ground, um, I started seeing his, his reactions to his own performances like greatly improve. And then we started talking about the solo record. And um, after the first couple songs, I didn't have to give him notes about, oh, your, your tone of voice or your energy or whatever. You know, um, He had it all so consistent. And then we could just focus on is is every line most effective, you know, is the arrangement of the song right, you know, that kind of stuff, and get into the real uh, nuts and bolts of it. So I've really, really enjoyed working on this album with Cerebral. It's going to be called Polarities, 
and uh, he's he's cooking up album art for it um, himself. It looks really cool. It sounds really cool. Um, he he had me do a feature on one of the songs. I think it's going to be probably the first single that you hear. Uh, it's called Hometown Hero. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. There's just a lot of great music coming out from the Architects crew right now. And um, this one, Polarity, since I've been so closely invested and involved, I think that um, I've been talking to him about making it a Take 92 release. So we're we're still working that out. I probably shouldn't have even said anything, but it's something that I... I'm trying to do. I'm trying to reach out to artists that I really care about and people whose music I think uh, needs to be heard. Not saying I have a big platform, okay? But when I see somebody put up a, a record that's digital download on Bandcamp and they promote it for, you know, a couple weeks... And then it dies off, and you know they're they're not they're not out there playing for different crowds, you know, selling it. They're not giving you something to take home and remember them by. I that bugs the shit out of me. I want people to hear this awesome music that's in the underground. You know, there's so much of it. And about six years ago, that's what I was gearing up to do with Take Ninety Two. In 2010, I was really trying to do that. I put out the Bear Cub and my friend Kellen Holty, uh, singer-songwriter record. And um, I was in the process of signing Yogo Man Burning Band, who's an awesome like reggae uh, kind of, I don't even know what to call it. It's like, it's kind of like roots reggae uh, music, but it's awesome, like feel good, um, groovy, groovy sing-along reggae stuff. I was in the process of uh, signing them to put out their third album. And um, that's when uh, things changed for The Illusionist and we started to uh, dump a lot of money into Death Proof. And I thought, okay, you know, I should hold off on this. But at this point, I am 11 years into Take 92 music. And, you know... I give back a little bit, but I want to do that more. And I, and I want to, uh, you know, bring up my friends and uh, show you guys, just like the Bears repeating tour, you know, when it was me and KI and Eb and Ogar, and it was the first time we had, like, all people from Eugene hitting the road together, just killing it every night. And it was awesome because it was like, th these are my people. You know, this is my family and music and uh and i want to show people that so cerebral is a person i really want to bring into the fold uh you know gradient i mean mostly i just produced the record i mean mostly that's what happened i did uh help him sell a little bit of that but but that was mostly him so um i want to do better at it cerebral is my next step and um boy what else oh right now Currently, as I'm recording this podcast, if my Wi-Fi is cooperating, which it appears to be, I am uploading my next Stolen Songs Sessions episode. If you haven't been following me, I've been releasing 
albums of covers since 2008 called Stolen Songs 1, 2, and 3. More recently, I started doing this on YouTube and Bandcamp where I would choose one artist instead of doing, you know, 16 songs on Stolen Songs and each one is a different artist. I'm just singing my favorite songs. Uh, With Stolen Songs Sessions, I would choose one artist like uh, Nirvana or uh, Johnny Cash or Sublime and bring in band members who I thought, uh, musicians who I thought would be good for the project, ask if they want to play on it. And I would choose a full set list of that artist. And we would play songs that uh, maybe a couple you know and you you know remember hearing on the radio or or seeing on MTV back in the day when you were a kid. But mostly songs that are like, you know, deep cuts in the album. You know, the songs that they didn't even necessarily play live or, you know, you might not remember. But those are some of my favorites. And and so I kind of wanted to do Stolen Songs sessions, not only to just have a fun outlet to like pretend I'm in a real active band again, but also to remind people why those those artists were important in the first place. You know, they're more than just the singles that they're remembered for in time. And so like when we did the Green Day one, they have a lot of albums. And I meticulously went through their entire discography to pick songs from damn near every single album, every single era of the band. You know, I've really tried to represent um, a wide array of songs for everybody. So the one that I just finished is Foo Fighters. I've actually, it's, it's taken the longest out of any, any of them because I was working on three episodes last summer. I went Blink-182 and then Smashing Pumpkins. And then we had a couple of setbacks. Um, I had to change my drummer, had to uh, lose my bass player. And we finally got Foo Fighters recorded right before I left for the Vacant Eyes tour. And so I didn't have time to finish the video. Because when we record the album, we film it, each person's parts, and then edit the the video after I've mixed and mastered the, the audio. So it takes fucking forever. I mean, it's, it's, it's like 20 hours of video editing alone, plus mixing and mastering a whole album. So it's... It's an undertaking, and I, I haven't had time since I've been home from that tour to uh, to do it. Obviously, I've just given you a lot of records that are on deck. So finally, I had a, a week off from Cerebral, and the architects weren't moving, and I finished that EP with Sarks and Odar, and I thought, shit, I'm going to knock this out right now. So uh, Foo Fighters has everything from... The Color and the Shape album, which maybe I leaned a little too heavy on, but I really love, that was in the late 90s, all the way to uh, Sonic Highways, which came out last year, year before, something like that. Um, So it's a pretty good cross-section of the Foo Fighters' career. They're a band that I dearly love, but I feel like as popular as they are, as many records as they sell, nobody's like, uh, uh, who's your favorite band? Foo Fighters, man, Foo Fighters all the way. You know, like... I don't uh I don't get that. 
you know, uh, around around my house and, and, you know, my parents' house. When, when Foo Fighters drop a new album, it's a big deal. You know, we love that shit. So I wanted to uh, share my excitement about that band. All the eras, not, not just the big uh, singles and stuff that you remember, but just so many good songs. Um, I, I did sing a couple of the, the memorable singles. I, I had to do Everlong. I can't do Foo Fighters and not play Everlong. Uh, I played it acoustic, which Ben Schaff, my drummer, was disappointed at because he really wanted to play the drums. And uh, I've seen him play it. He's great at it. He wanted to play the drums on Everlong, but I said, no, no, I've always been in love with this acoustic version that Dave Grohl did on Howard Stern back in like the late 90s. I heard it on uh, Napster, of all places. Uh, I'm like Mr. anti piracy dude i'm an anti-streaming guy i had naps there back in the day because I, I would download you know live stuff and and bootlegs and just w- weird stuff that you couldn't buy in the record store you know i'd buy all kinds of that stuff that i could find but when i couldn't um find a certain thing i would go on napster and be like oh cool somebody ripped this howard stern uh dave Grohl performance and i listened to it a million times and so i played it exactly as he played it that first time uh i thought it turned out really good i had a guy tell me on youtube this week that i am the worst singer on youtube and uh that always feels really good but um but then i i get to uh bounce back from that by dropping a 31 minute performance of foo fighters songs so with this i i redeem myself as not the worst singer on youtube i hope so i had planned to do a lot more stolen song sessions, but, uh, you know, those are much like this podcast, something I do just for fun, kind of on the side, whenever I have time, it's a free thing that I give to you. It doesn't cost me much money, just cost me time. I try to do these extra things on the side just to keep it interesting. So I'm not always going, Hey, buy my new record. Hey, buy my new record. Hey, buy my new record. Cause I put out so much shit that I don't want it to feel like that. Um, I want to do other things that are, are engaging in other ways. So hopefully you will see more Stolen Song sessions from me. Um, with all of them, you can watch the whole you know, 30-minute performance on YouTube. You can go to video.take92.com, and it will take you to my YouTube channel. And all of those also are available for, for free download. I can't charge money for them. If you want to donate, my PayPal is sam at take92.com. I fucking appreciate that. But uh, I can't sell the covers. So I put them up for free download on Bandcamp, which you can find all those albums at take92.com. And uh, I don't know. It's just a fun little thing to do. And I've gotten to the point now where I know how to make the record sound how I want. And I went, you know, I went through enough years of trial and error and fucking it up that uh i i've gotten pretty good at it. I, i'm i'm proud of the sounds i get now in this room so it's cool to me to just be able to bust out a set with a band that's not a real band playing a bunch of my old favorite songs i just think it's super fun and i can uh you know make it look and sound pretty good without paying somebody else to do it i guess is my point these are the kinds of things, now that I am self-sufficient, that I can just 
uh, do a little thing and give it away. And it's just kind of fun. I want to mention two other records that I've been working on for a long time. Years, I'm talking. And they're, they're almost ready to see the light of day. Both of these albums have been demoed, okay? I've recorded rough versions of all the songs. I know basically how I want them to be. Once I'm 100% on those songs, once I know the order of songs and exactly what I want to do, then I'll go and re-record everything from scratch, make it sound extra nice. And um, one of these records we've talked about, and that is my punk band, Dead Fucking Serious. Uh, there's an episode with Kellen Holty, my drummer. If you want to hear that episode, go look it up. Um, and that'll tell you everything you need to know. But um, DFS was started in 2006 um, with some songs I just kind of crapped out in two weeks and brought in some band members and we recorded them almost like stolen songs. But then we kept playing and then we started writing together and then it kind of fell apart. But uh, for the last two or three years now, I've been writing DFS songs and I'm, I'm, I've got four or five now that I'm sitting on that uh, Kellen's going to come out next week and we're going to record. So by then we'll have, we'll have enough to um, whittle this down to a, a really good chunk of songs and, um, and give, it, give it everything we got. The ones we cut, I'll probably re-record as well and put out a little EP or something. Because there's some that are a little bit more maybe skate punk when we're trying to be more um, just straight up hardcore, like a little more old school. So the songs that don't fit, I'm, I'm hoping to get them to you in some way. The other record is called Daydream. And I mentioned this in my book in the uh, epilogue, but I haven't put out anything but covers when it comes to my, uh, my rock or folk music. And, I, you know, I grew up as a guitarist and a singer, and that's, that's, a, that's what I know. Most people don't know me as that now, but that's, that's where I'm from. Part of the reason I do these covers is so I get to do that even when I'm not in an active band. Um, also in 2006 is when I put out my first solo record. I did three in a row. I did Sequel of Me, Days in the Dark, and Counterclockwise. And that was from 2006 to 2009. I haven't done an original album of that kind since. So this Daydream album is my follow-up to Counterclockwise. I've written about half of the songs uh, from 2009 until last year. And I wrote about three more this month I'm really excited about. Just with the craziness. You know, I did an episode called Death and Cancer where I talked about uh, losing my, my maternal grandma. And since then, that was only a few months ago, and now I've also lost my uh, grandma on my dad's side. And uh, just reflecting a lot about life and death and parents and... Um, I'm grateful for the things that I have in this life. So I've finally been able to, after after a long time of no output, I've been able to pick up my guitar and feel inspired 
and sing songs that really mean something to me and songs that I actually wrote because I've done a lot of these covers now and I really enjoy it. And the songs are important to me, but uh, it's been a long time coming to do this. I'm really excited to be, you know, putting my own words and melodies together again. It's It's been, and I'll say the writing experience now, having put out a dozen rap albums, makes uh, for much better writing, I think, in these singer-songwriter pieces because... I'll write it and then I'll go through and do my revisions like I do with a rap record and, you know, add the internal rhyme and, and you know, uh, do these other things just to clean it up and make it stronger. And, um, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with, with these demos. And, and I'm thinking, I've been talking to Eric Munch about going to Seattle and, and making this record with him because I, I haven't done that since, well, he was down here for the first Stolen Songs in 2008, but... It's it's been a long time since I've actually gone up there and made a record at his place, so we might do that. And uh, the last thing is not an album at all, but I've posted a couple pictures here and there when I'm filming, and I've just left the hashtag "Born with the Gene." "Born with the Gene" is a song that I wrote years ago. It was it was a B-side from "Ill Is All." And eventually I put out a rock version of it on Asshole Extraordinaire in 2013. Yeah. And uh, the song's called Born With The Gene. It's along the lines of some of my other pieces like Anti-Fun and The Edge Break and stuff like that where I talk about my reasons for not drinking and doing drugs. Because I am straight edge. I always have been. Before I knew there was a way to label myself. That's just how I am. I wanted to make another documentary. I had done like a 30-minute one on The Illusionist's Death of a Salesman. And a 20-minute one on This Day's End. Our 10-year anniversary last year. And this is the first time I want to make a feature-length film. And I wanted to make it a story of addiction. And it's from the perspective of my dad, who was was basically um, exiled, um, you know, when I was one. My parents divorced because he was fucked up. And perspective of my stepdad, who raised me since I was two. And... Um, he had uh, previously been fucked up before that, not long before that either, and um, and and so he's been in in recovery, you know, and and raised me in a sober household, and and my uncle, uh, my stepdad's brother, was kind of um, his role model in that way because prior to all of them, he was fucked up first. And so all of these people in my family, strong uh, uh, male role models in what to do and what not to fucking do, um, have very interesting stories to tell. And I've heard bits and pieces of them my whole life. A lot of these things I didn't hear until I sat down to do these interviews. But I wanted on some level to explain myself 
because people look at me like I'm crazy, and I know I'm crazy when I get on stage at a bar and I play a song called Fuck the Party. Okay, I know that that's nuts. And maybe that's just the punk rock in me. Maybe it's some sort of defense mechanism. I've accepted that I do more vocal and and crass things when I'm in a setting where other people are there to be intoxicated. You know, when that's your point of being there, that makes me uncomfortable. And sometimes I kind of go on autopilot and I say some shit. So I wanted to address that. And instead of just telling my story or writing about it in a book or singing another song or rapping or whatever, I thought it would be best to just show you the people who lived it so I don't have to live it. They went through all the shit so that I never, ever have to go through that shit myself. And I see so much of myself in them, in all of them, the addictive personality, the obsessive traits, the, I mean, shit, you just listed off, or you just heard me list off all of the albums that I've got coming out this year. I mean, that's bigger than a lot of people's famous musicians' discographies, okay? What I put out in one period of time. That's because my personality type is to obsess and to always be doing the thing that I do, whatever it is, okay? 100% all the time doing that. And that's how I feel control or feel safe or something. I don't know. So anyway, it's who I am at my core. I am an addict, but I am an addict, thank God, of, of less dangerous things in my life than they were in theirs. So the movie's called Born with the Gene. I've got most of it done. I'm working with my mom on uh, some narration that's going to go throughout it. And I'm working with Adam Dunn on possibly uh, animating some, uh, some lyrics for me as well. I don't have a date on that yet, but I do want to actually release it. It's not just going to be a YouTube thing. It's something I'm really proud of. I, I'd like to see it in a theater. I love going to the theater. I go all the fucking time. I want to see this on the big screen at least once, just once. So maybe that'll just be a local thing. But, um, you know, I've been directing my own videos for a few years now. I've got a better understanding of, of how to do it and what I want to see and what I don't want to see. So I think that when it's done, it's going to be something that, uh, that other people will get. So hopefully that's the case. Anyway, again, I apologize for the radio silence. I uh, have other ideas for, for interview guests and other episodes coming up. I just didn't want to keep you in the dark any longer because I feel like I'm fucking up if I'm not constantly uh, uh, doing this or if I fall off my schedule. So uh, thank you guys for listening. I really love doing this show. And I'm going to leave you with a song since I've been talking about returning to my singer-songwriter folk style that uh, this is a song I recorded on Days in the Dark in 2008 and I just re-recorded 
for my grandma after she passed. And uh, it's one of my favorite songs. It's called Somber Stone. This is for my grandma, Sandy. Where I lay my bones Where I choose to rest There'll be a tree to make shade for me And maybe some birds will nest Here's my final bed A place for me to rest my head I can sleep and dream of you among the peaceful dead Down at the grave where my name is carved in a block somber stone My friends will talk of times we've had and I'll listen from Softly weep, feel the wind caress your skin. Bless me with your love once more and carry me within. Here's my final bed, a place for me to rest my head. Name is carved in a block. Song. 